the IBM Cloud Podcast, coming to you every show with information about new capabilities and releases. Hey guys, welcome to yet another episode of the IBM Cloud Podcast. My name is Ian Lynch and today we're going to talk a little bit about actually what happens behind the scenes at IBM Cloud than our actual cloud itself. So, you know, most of our focus is really on making the life of the user easier. One of those users in particular is the developer. So today, um, there is no better person than I know who really understands the developer so well, builds amazing technologies, develops code and patterns, educates, and is a developer himself. He's one of our technical product managers here at IBM Cloud, Mr. Sai Venom. Sai, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Um, I've, I've been a fan of the IBM Cloud Podcast, and I think you know we're we're, we're doing similar things here and, and reaching out to the community. I'm I'm really excited. Absolutely. So, so I, for those that don't know you, right? Technical product manager, YouTube extraordinaire. Tell us what does I do? You know, for I'd IBM? actually say my my role at IBM probably comes uh, in in two different pieces. Uh, my main job, my day job, as you introduced me, I'm a I'm a technical product manager. And essentially what that means, um, I, I manage one of our uh, solutions in IBM Cloud, schematics. Um, and just to kind of quickly summarize it, it enables automation and provisioning of tools in IBM Cloud. It's really interesting because I get to work with clients and users that want to automate from anywhere from you know, our Kubernetes service to you know, databases in our cloud, whatever it is, right? So I get you know, the pleasure of having to learn and, you know, maybe knowing a little bit about pretty much all of the solutions in our cloud. And that, I think, feeds in really well into my other role at IBM that most people recognize me from is, you know, creating digital content, YouTube videos, and even, you know, written content like samples and labs that that people can consume at their own time digitally um, to learn a little bit more about IBM Cloud. So, so let's say that's kind of the two things that I do. On one hand, I'm an offering manager. On the other, uh, I'd say it's closely, most closely defined as a developer advocate. So let's talk a little bit about that, right? So you're now a technical product manager. You're also the kind of developer advocate. So that means you actually write code as well, right? So and so you started off in IBM actually as a developer, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. So what did you actually yeah, work on? So when on? I Tell first us. started at IBM, actually I interned on a team that was working on tr- traditional WebSphere application server. Um, and so, you know, Ian, you, you, you probably know this uh, really well, but it's basically a, a, a Java a J2EE application platform that was really big, you know, in the 90s, early 2000s, and companies were using it to run, you know, large Java monolithic applications, um, which was an interesting job to have as a fresh uh, graduate or in college, actually, as an internship. But, hey, the internship went okay. And then, you know, uh, when I graduated, I got a call back, and it was my manager, my hiring manager, said, hey, you want to come back and work on this cloud thing. Um, so I got the opportunity to start working on the very first versions of IBM Cloud. At the time, it was Bluemix. And yeah, I was a, I was a developer focusing on the uh, Node.js capabilities available in IBM Cloud. So I, I got to go from something really old school in IBM to something actually cutting edge that you know IBM hadn't worked on something like that ever. So, so I, I see the developer advocacy role, right, as kind of like the voice of the developer, the guy who really understands codes, the pain points, 
helps a team out to build better and I guess immersive technologies that makes the life of the developer easy. But what was that journey like? So you went from WebSphere to Node.js. Did you, were you like the best of the both of them? They were like, hey, you'd make a good developer advocate or is there a path for that or how did that all work? Or how did yeah, it um, so I'll say that as a developer, you know, it's really easy to get tied down into, you know, daily responsibilities and your next work item and deadlines. And, you know, I, I, I'll put it this way. You can always be doing something as a developer. There's no uh, end to the backlog of items. So it's easy to get kind of lo- uh, kind of lose track and just get caught up in all of that and uh, focusing on your next deliverables. So as a developer, I'll be honest, I, I kind of, you know, stepped back and thought, do I want to be the very best developer or do I want to focus on some of my other, you know, soft skills? Um, and, and I, I decided on the latter. And what I started with was attending local, uh, developer hackathons, um, hosted by colleges. So, you know, I went to UNC Chapel Hill, they had hackathons happening around. I was also, uh, living close to NC state and Duke university, and they also had hackathons all the time. So I used to attend them representing IBM uh, and, and just sit at the booth and then hang out with the people there. And I think that was my first foray into developer advocacy. You know, if you break that word down, it's about advocating for the developer. So it's, it's about taking what a developer wants and then making sure that they're equipped with the skills to accomplish it. And um, by representing IBM, I, I tried to pick and choose the best parts of our cloud and then offer them to the people in the hackathon who are trying to get something done in 48 hours. Um, so in those contexts, I think I, I really grew to love developer advocacy. Uh, and I think that was my first kind of foray into it. And, and, and it, it really wanted me to explore more into that field. Um, it, it took another two or three years before I was you know, officially a developer advocate. But I'd say those are the first steps to, to going there. It's to just, you know, Put your day job aside. Do a good job at that, but but also focus on things that you want to do. And for me, that was going to these hackathons. So that's probably the best advice or tips you'd actually give to a developer is eat lots of pizzas, attend hackathons, maybe drink a beer at these hackathons, and just be the best yeah, you are. And, and unfortunately, right now, I know that there's you know restrictions around hosting events like those, but I'm actually seeing lots right. of online hackathons that are popping up as well. In addition, I'm 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 seeing that um, you know there's there's opportunities to be you know uh, recognized when you're when you're writing code, even at, from the comfort of your home. Um, and and so these kind of opportunities that let you get face to face and network with other developers. That's that's what developer advocacy is all about. So anything like that you can take advantage of now is is also great. You know, your local meetups, they're doing digital things as well. It's 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 all still happening in a different format. And to be honest, Sai, the, when you said the comfort of your own home, I remember the last hackathon I was at here in Dublin in the Guinness storehouse. It was like, it was lovely. It was a great venue. But when you're like basically 48 hours in a room with, you know, regular desks and seats, it just becomes, oh my God, where's my sofa? Where's my couch? Well, I just want to relax. And, you know, so absolutely, I can see the appeal of from both sides. Yeah, it kind of sucks that we can't do these things now, but I guess we've all kind of adapted to that. But so let me talk a little bit about the video content you create, right? So I remember first seeing you kind of explode out with one of the first videos that you were writing with on what looked like a glass, what actually appears like the screen. So 
that's what kind of caught my eye and kind of gave me the whole, wow, this is really cool. And then I was like, actually, you know what? This is amazingly cool content as well. It's really simple to learn. So you're, you're talking about you have a day job as well. And of course, you're bringing amazing products to market. But talk to me through the whole video scene and kind of that path that you also took. Yeah, IBM definitely. As well. So um, to, to get considered for that, I'd say, you know, I had done a lot of other not so successful videos with with our marketing team. You know, it's <laughs> you, you, people don't tend to see all the videos that didn't, uh, you know, take off. So, you know, prior to that, I had had even been in the same studio where we recorded the lightboard video. Uh, that's the one with the glass. Um, and, and we recorded videos on IBM Cloud and overviews and product focused things. And, you know, I I'd honestly say it's similar content. But um, I think there's two major things that, that helped that video, the lightboard thing, really take off. Um, you mentioned the first one, so I won't cover that. That, that's that. It's just a cool concept of having the screen in front of you. But I'd say the two main things is, for one, we don't focus on products in those videos. We, we don't want to just you know, spout IBM cloud capabilities or solutions or technologies. We instead want to focus on you know, the open source capability that's out there. So that's that's the first thing, um, and then number two, I'd say it's you know just just having that lightboard as you know a visual uh, way of teaching. You know, even if it was just a whiteboard or something like that, the lightboard just makes it a little bit more interesting. So then your viewers that are you know maybe not just pure auditory learners but also visual learners, and then everyone I think can can benefit from having both. Um, those those are the kind of experiences that we want to drive. And I think that's what really, uh, those two things are what made these videos so uh, initially successful. Yeah, they're super appealing. So like we have a ton of people on the show. We've done like over a hundred episodes, but no one so I really that I've talked to before in the last couple of years seems so excited about their job as you do. So what what is the best part and what keeps that massive smile on your face all day long? <laughs> so I'll be honest with you. If I was strictly a you know product manager at IBM, I, I probably wouldn't be you know so uh, thrilled about my job. And and I'll say that with with the kind of um, with with the kind of note that it's mo- mainly because of the travel restrictions now. Without travel restrictions um, and when, when the world was normal, being an offering manager was amazing. I got to go to conferences. I got to speak directly with customers. Everything that I loved about developer advocacy was you know, you know, even more um, exacerbated and even more amplified, rather, uh, when I was an offering manager. I was not just speaking with you know, a- average developer. I was also speaking with average developer at a customer at a client that that pays IPM money, so it, it it felt like more high stakes. Mm-hmm. It felt um, you know a, a lot more engaging, and these were customers that were actually doing with the with the solutions that I helped develop. Um, that was pretty cool. So so I'd say that was uh, you know that's that was part of what makes me really enjoy my job. Now today with those travel restrictions, now I've focused a little bit less on my offering management side of the world and more on my digital content creation and developer advocacy side. And I'd say the most rewarding thing about that, you know, is just just seeing the feedback that I get is, is folks that, that'll randomly ping me. And, and I'll say it right now, folks, if you want to ping me about anything on, on email, on Twitter, on Slack, on whatever, feel free to do it. I love getting messages uh, from, from people who found me through videos or that kind of thing. I think that's the most rewarding thing about about this job. I think uh, I, I do really enjoy that. 
it's like careful what you wish for you'll have people in downtown rally coming up to you and saying hey you're that guy from youtube the IBM. you know I've, I've, I've got a funny story about that um I, I wasn't um i wasn't even uh you know expecting this to happen but i was actually in amsterdam uh, a year ago a year and a half ago it was probably seven or eight months after my first video on youtube so these videos weren't huge yet um, and someone actually recognized me off the street and said, Hey, wait a minute, you're that Kubernetes guy. And that was the moment I was like, wait a second, this is, this is crazy. I'm, I'm halfway across the world and, and, and getting recognized for this YouTube thing. And that's when I realized, Oh, Hey, this is a global footprint that you can have off of YouTube. So that, that's something that I thought was really exciting and funny. So, so tell me about what technologies then are you working on nowadays that actually help clients? Um, so, so today I'm I'm working on that automation capability that I touched on, you know, in the in the introduction of the call. Um, this is automation that's uh, well, essentially enables companies to approach their infrastructure as code. The reason I find it so exciting is because you know, back five, 10 years ago, even 15 years ago, you wouldn't find developers just storing code in, in their local machine. It's, there was always some sort of SCM around, um, you know, IPMers, we use Jazz or RTC, uh, and then the community, you know, overwhelmingly started using GitHub. But, but it makes you think, how come infrastructure isn't managed the same way? There's operations teams that write, you know, scripts and that kind of thing to automate, but um, infrastructure as code is the idea of taking all of the infrastructure that powers your stack and storing it the same way a developer would store application code in GitHub. And, and, and then there's, you know, other levels to it as, uh, you know, you get further and further into infrastructure as code. I'm a big fan of the open source Terraform capability. You know, on the Red Hat side, we've got Ansible. I think it's a really exciting time to be in this space and, uh, there's a lot of exploratory functions happening here, but more and more I'm seeing that clients are prioritizing automating their infrastructure as code. And so I think it's an interesting space to be in. Um, and like I mentioned, it it lets me know a little bit about everything, about every solution in our cloud, because at the end of the day, customers are doing you know a little bit of everything and it's everything does need to be automated. Let me ask that same question again, Sai, in a different way, right? You go home to Mrs. Sai every night, you sit down, you have your dinner, you have a quick chat, and then you pull open your Mac and you say, All right, I'm going to work on some of the technologies that I like to play around with. You mentioned their Terraform and kind of like, what, what does Sai like to do outside yeah, of IBM? Yeah, uh, that's, that's an interesting question. So I actually really enjoy playing with my smart home automation. So I think one of my most uh, <laughs> me too. One of my most recent kind of projects. Um, so I actually have an LG TV, which is kind of old at this point. I think it's like five or six uh, years old. But I realized they have an API that the TV exposes on the local network. So I wanted to create some automation, um, and I know a lot of TVs these days do this automatically, uh, but this TV doesn't because it's a little bit older. But I wanted to do an automation where when I come home and say, you know, I'm home, it, it'll like turn on uh, a digital fireplace on the TV, turn my lights on, put some music on, you know, just, just set the mood a little bit. Um, but, but to do that, I, I set up a Raspberry Pi that was uh, had a Node.js app running that was able to communicate to my old LG TV. Um, and I got all of this working by just finding some random guy on GitHub that, that wrote uh, a little API for LG uh, WebOS TVs. Um, 
I don't know. I I, th- I think that's really fun and interesting to just like fidget with things, and then you run a piece of you know code, and then something in your house changes. You know that I, I thought that was always really interesting, and that's that's something that I still enjoy doing. For sure, I'm sure you're only allowed to do that side because it's five or six years old. If it was the new latest and greatest, you'd be probably told, "Get that Raspberry Pi away from my TV." <laughs> exactly. These days, the TVs are are smarter than I feel like I could program. But the the thing I really actually enjoy is that when when companies like LG do this in a way that developers can go in and play with it. Um, another one that that does a really good job of this is is my my lighting system from Hue. They also have a lot of good public APIs. So I just I really enjoy that the the smart home community out there just really appreciates you know just your average Joe developer that wants to go in and tinker with things. It's it's really cool. Right. Uh, well, I'm kind of right in saying this as well, right? But we are we as IBM we do that we basically do the same thing, right? Just on a massive scale. Yeah, certainly. I think uh, what we'll, what you'll see on IBM Cloud and the solutions that I work with, I mentioned Terraform as a capability that you know we we kind of focus on with schematics. And and Terraform is, is open source, developed by HashiCorp, but we, we are taking it as um, you know a, a powerful solution. We're building community support for it for our cloud. Um, I think it's just one example of how, you know, IBM, it's gone are the days where we try to, you know, build our own solutions for everything. Nowadays, you know, we, we want to support the community. We want to work in the community. And, you know, I, I think the acquisition of Red Hat speaks to that greatly with, you know, Red Hat being one of the, the, the most prolific open source contribu- uh, contribution companies out there. So I think it's, it's, we've detected a shift in the winds you know, probably earlier in this decade. And, and we're, we're really seeing that come to fruition as we move forward here. So, Sai, I'm going to leave you with one last question. And it's pretty simple. What is the one thing that you wish people in, I guess, in the outside world of IBM, that they, we, they actually knew about the company? What's the one thing you wish they would yeah, know? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of people, when I tell them I've been working at IBM for six years, they're they're kind of blown away. They're like, wow, that's so long. And for me, I feel like, it hasn't even felt that way. It's it's flown by, and 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 I'm completely kind of uh, happy with 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 where I am today. And I'd say that's for one big reason. IBM is a huge company, you know. And and mm-hmm. if you don't enjoy the role that you are potentially in, you can find another role that's gonna that's gonna work for you. And and at the end of the day, I think that's what's amazing about IBM. I. On average, I've, I've switched roles or put on a different hat, you know, developer, advocacy, different teams and projects about once every two years. And and I, and I each time my managers have kind of supported me. So maybe I've gotten a little lucky in, in that. But I, I feel like I've, I've gotten the ability to experience so many different roles and kind of find the, the, the role that, that works for me. And, you know, it's even more so um, uh, great because... I'm building a network at this company as I move forward. It's it's folks that I worked with five, six years ago that I'll still see their name come up or I'll randomly be in a conference call with them. And it's that network that I feel like I've been growing and growing. And it's not something I'm ready to give up anytime soon. So, you know, in that regard, I'd say for, for folks outside of IBM, you know, if you're considering joining IBM or looking for careers at IBM, just know that if, if you land into a role that you're not successful in or you're not a fan of, 
chances are you'll be able to switch into something that 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 better suits you it's it's pretty cool and the one thing that you did say like as you were saying all that i'm sitting here like nodding my head agreeing with absolutely everything you're saying but especially you said that it's like not really a role but it's like just putting on a different hat and that's exactly what it feels like i've been 13 years with ibm and literally every role i guess one for a better word just feels like me popping on a different hat which is pretty incredible considering the size of the company considering people look oh you work in it it's like well yeah you can do so many things Anyway, so I, I wish you the very best, well, for the next, you've been six years with IBM and I definitely wish you the very best for the next six and I can see big and great things and I'm sure you not only won't be able to walk down downtown rally, but probably on a global presence as being known as that Kubernetes guy. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me here today, Ian. Yeah, it was really good. So really informative as well and great to catch up with you. And guys, myself and Sai, thanks for joining in and we'll catch you then next time on the IBM Cloud Podcast. <laughs>